Hear the word of God from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 30. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. You can find this reading on page 19 in your pew Bible. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first crop of the harvest, also groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray. But the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks, because he pleads for the saints, consistent with God's will. We know that God works all things together for good and for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this because God knew them in advance, and he decided in advance that they would, that they would be conformed to the image of his son. That way his son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those who God decided in advance would be conformed to his son, he also called. Those whom he called he also made righteous. Those whom he made righteous, he also glorified. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Thank you. So the other day, I was getting in my car about to head to work, and two neighbors walked by. We have a lot of folks walk in our neighborhood, and I, just after our normal pleasantries, I said, oh, by the way, did you sell your car? Because I knew the last time we talked, she told me they were trying to sell their car. And she said, no, no, it fell through. The guy who was supposed to buy it was in an accident, and now he's having back surgery. And then just very casually, she turned and walked over to her and said, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> and as I was getting in my car, I thought to myself and whispered to her, what about the poor guy that had the accident? What about his back surgery? So, everything happens for a reason. Hmm. Friends, if you have been here over the last few weeks, you know that we have been exploring some of these popular Christian cliches, if you will, cultural sayings in a sermon series called That's Not in the Bible. We've been examining some of these expressions that are repeated so often that sometimes we assume they are biblical. And truthfully, they are well-intentioned, and they are partially true. Many of them sound so right that we wonder, how in the world could they be wrong? Because at the heart of it, each of them are trying to address some real situation, some real human need. I mean, trying to deal with and encounter sin in this world, some folks say, love the sinner and hate the sin. That, that sort of sounds compassionate until you look at it a little more. 
trying to rise up against laziness and helplessness, some people say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Sounds like a word of motivation. You can do it. Trying to comfort someone who's experiencing pain and grief, some of us very lovingly say to them, some of us lovingly say it to ourselves, God won't give you more than you can handle. And that sounds like encouragement and support. And people who say these expressions are saying them because they're trying to make sense of their world and live out their faith. But let me be clear that, not, that they are not all bad, these statements, but we cannot claim that they are biblical. They are not literally in the Bible. Some of us have been using the expression half-truths. They're sort of true. They've got truth in them, but when we play them out, they can be damaging to individuals. In fact, Adam Hamilton, pastor of Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, has written an entire book called Half-Truths. God helps those who help themselves and other things the Bible doesn't say. So today we are in our final week uh, looking at the expression, everything happens for a reason. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we pray for your spirit to be among us this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, well, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts glorify you. This we pray. May we come to know a bit more of your truth because we've been together in worship today. Amen. Now that phrase, everything happens for a reason, is relatively harmless if when you say it, you are thinking about cause and effect. I waited too long to put gas in my car, cause. I ran out of gas, effect. I left the boiling pot on the stove while I went outside to get the mail and started that conversation with the neighbors, cause. I scorched the beans, effect. Reckless high-speed driving along the bay shore, cause. The death of a young mother and her baby infant in 2018 effect. No rain, severe drought in East Africa for several years cause. Crops die, food shortages occur, massive starvation effect. Yes, there is cause and effect in this world. Things do happen for a reason if you're thinking of this expression and using it in this way. And that's okay. But usually when we say everything happens for a reason, we are not talking about cause and effect. We are often responding to someone who is challenged, who is suffering, who is hurting, who is grieving. We're trying to help someone who's going through a difficult time because we struggle, all of us, I believe, at the heart of it, with the random nature of life sometimes. We don't like the accidental, haphazard, indiscriminate way that life plays out at times. We crave order and we desire explanation. And so we say those words, well, there must be a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And it seems okay to use that expression. It's okay until we say it to someone at an inappropriate time, say, at a funeral. There's a true story of a woman who was leaving an evening church service, and she tripped, her heel got caught on the steps, she tripped and fell and broke her hip. 
She went into the hospital, and in spite of their best efforts, she did not get better. She got worse until she eventually died. At the visitation, the pastor was standing next to the recent widower, and quite a few people came up to console him. Some said, well, God must have had a plan for this, so we need to accept it. Or it was God's will. You just have to live with it. Or somehow God planned this to test you and your faith. Or there's a silver lining in everything, so one day you will understand eventually God's reason for this. In their own way, each of these people are trying to offer support, as they say, everything happens for a reason. These expressions almost sound pious until you consider the flip side. Your wife died because God had planned for her to die. Does that sound like a loving, gracious, kind thing to say? No. I'm glad to see several of you shaking your heads. And that preacher left, left the funeral home that night filled with anger, and he raged against their babbling. That's the way he put it. And he went to his study, and he rewrote the opening to his sermon. And the next morning for the funeral, he began with, My God does not push old ladies down the steps of the church. And then he proclaimed and proceeded to explain how God cannot be blamed or accused of all the brokenness that is in this world. If God is the author of death, he said, how can God be at the same time the author of life as shown through the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate every Sunday morning? How can God be the source of love? And he concluded, is God God of the living or God of the dead? You cannot have it both ways. Too often, we try to blame God for all the brokenness in the world. We blame God. It's easier for us sometimes than to accept the random nature, the mystery of life. If that story of the widower doesn't quite connect with you, you might remember the film Bruce Almighty. Mm -hmm. Well, if I was able to show you a clip, I will, but I will explain it to you. Bruce Nolan is a news reporter, and he doesn't think that life is treating him fairly, and he keeps getting all these awful assignments in the newsroom, and on his worst day yet, when he's passed over to be the anchorman, and he gets into a fight with the guy who gets it, and he loses his job in the midst of it, well, this is the conversation he has with his girlfriend, Grace, played by Jennifer Aniston. Oh, thank God you're all right, Bruce. God, yeah, thank God, shall we, for his blessings are raining down on me. Wait, that's not rain. Bruce, honey, please don't do that. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hand's worth two in the bush. I don't have a bird. I don't have a bush. God is taking them both. Oh, I see. God is picking on you. Is that it? No, God is ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving everything to Evan that he wants. That's his nemesis who got the job. Why are you getting so mad? Why? Because it's all God's fault. He gave me the wrong coordinates. He's a weatherman. Okay, would you stop being so angry? I am not, no, stop being a martyr. I am not a martyr. I'm a victim. 
God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass staring at the ants, and I am one of the ants. He could fix my problems in a minute if he wanted, but he would rather burn up my feelers and watch me squirm. Sweetheart, I know you're mad. It's completely understandable why that what Evan did was slimy and wrong, but I'm just so glad you're okay. Okay? Newsflash, I am not okay with I'm not okay with this mediocre job. I'm not okay with this mediocre apartment. I am not okay. That dialogue shows how common the phrase, everything happens for a reason, is in our culture, but it also blames God so clearly, and it makes God sound incredibly cruel. Besides not exactly being in the Bible, Adam Hamilton suggests that there are at least three problems with this expression, everything happens for a reason. First of all, it removes all personal responsibility from the individual. You see, God has a plan in place, and therefore, your choices do not matter. The choices of others don't matter either because God is controlling everything that happens. Those boys speeding down the bay shore, they don't have to be have to take any responsibility because God made them speed. You know someone who had an affair, broke apart a family? It wasn't their fault. It was part of some bigger plan that God had in store. God wanted them to be a part of that. No responsibility for the individual is needed. God did it. That's problem number one. Number two, the idea that everything happens for a reason paints a very disturbing picture of God. As Bruce said in the movie clip, God is like a mean kid with a magnifying glass, shining the sun on those ants, making them squirm in the heat. God causes everything. God causes those recent earthquakes in California. God caused that fishing boat to capsize off the coast of Honduras Thursday. God caused that toddler to drown in clear water over the weekend. What kind of evil being would will these horrible events in a world for any reason, much less the creator of the universe, the one whom we call life? Thirdly, everything happens for a reason. Ultimately, it leads to fatalism. It doesn't matter what I do. God's plan is going to determine the outcome in every moment. There's no need for me to eat healthy or to exercise. If I'm going to have a heart attack, if I'm going to get a stroke, it's going to happen. I don't need to do anything to prevent it. Late yesterday afternoon, I visited one of our church members who's in the hospital receiving cancer treatments at Moffitt. At the moment, she is steady and holding her own, and she's feeling so much better than she was just a few days ago. She's doing everything her medical team suggests. But why? I mean, if she believed this statement, everything happens for a reason, then she wouldn't have to bother with any of those treatments, right? Because cancer must be what God wants for her. And if she resists that, what God wants, trying to get well, isn't she going against God's will? And all those doctors on her, on her team, well, why are they doing that? All oncologists, for that matter, are they going against God's plan? For their patients? You see how unhelpful this line of thinking is if we play it out. It sounds so harmless in the moment, 
So maybe we could think of some other things instead of everything happens for a reason. Maybe we could just say, I am so sorry. I wish it was different. Could I come over and sit with you? Could I bring you a meal? Could I hold your hand? I haven't forgotten you. There are other things we can say. Everything happens for a reason. To one who is really suffering, it's not the most helpful thing. I mean, what kind of God behaved like this? And how did people arrive at this understanding? How could anyone possibly come to this kind of theology that would imply that God pushes little old ladies down the church steps or makes a man lose it so badly that he gets into a fight and loses his job or to have any human being suffer in such devastating ways? Well, one of the sources of our confusion very well could be in the text that we read from Romans 8, how we translate it and how we understand it. Paul wrote the letter, the epistle to the Romans, as a, just before he was being put on trial in front of the emperor. Now remember, Paul's ministry was marked by incredible conflicts, ups and downs, shipwrecks and imprisonments, and he had it rough, and he was faithful in the midst of it all. So Paul, in the midst of one of these conflicts, writes this letter in which he states that God works all things. God ultimately works all things out for the good of himself and his people. So let's take note of what Paul did not say. He did not say that God caused him to be taken into chains and put on trial. He did not say that God made him go to prison. Indeed, instead, Paul says, God works it all out in the end. This is an important difference to take note of because Paul is not placing the blame on God for his being under arrest. Rather, he is acknowledging that God will use it ultimately somehow for good for the reign of God on earth, for some ultimate signal. To say it another way, God doesn't cause innocent people to go to jail. God doesn't cause people to die of cancer. And God doesn't cause people to be killed in senseless tragedies. But when these things do happen, and they do happen, God makes that evil thing become God can bring that evil thing to something good for the reign of God. Many people who quote this phrase uh, from Romans 8, 28 are often using the King James Version of the Bible. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Remember the King James Version was written in the year 1611, and it was written in Elizabethan or Shakespearean English. And it might have been a very clear translation in 1600, but language changes, right? I mean, language changes. Some of us in here might be old enough to remember the word dope. We used to get in trouble from our parents, or we used to give our kids a hard time. We call somebody stupid, right? You're such a dope, so stupid. And then the word dope came to mean illegal drugs. And now, to be dope really good. That car is dope. It's a good thing. I used it with my nieces and nephews over the weekend just to see how it worked, and they didn't even bat an eye. I was like, okay, I'm going to get this one. But, so language changes. So, as we think about this version of Romans 8.28, perhaps a different translation might be more helpful to our modern ears. 
I picked up NIV. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The difference may seem very subtle. King James Version, all things are working together. The NIV, God is working in all things. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. It simply says that God is at work in those things. Friends, bad things happen for a wide variety of reasons. Natural disasters, human error, stupid choices, cause and effect. Sometimes they just happen. But they don't happen because God willed for that or God made it happen just to prove a point to you or to test your faith. God does not give people cancer. God does not make children die of starvation. God does not cause any sort of tragedy. But when tragedy does strike, let us remember that God is in the midst of it and is ready to take that evil thing, that ugly thing, and somehow by the power of God bend it and shape it and change it for good and make something beautiful come out of it. God holds us, envelops us in the midst of our sadness and sends people like those people who are sitting near you on the pews this day, sends people to come around us and walk with us in our sadness. God sends the Spirit who helps us in our own weakness, who holds us up and reminds us of the promise of Jesus, the promise of life after death. And remembering Romans 8, 28, God redeems suffering and brings good from it. In response to evil and suffering, one of my favorite theologians, Frederick Buechner, has this to say. Christianity ultimately offers no theoretical solution. It merely points to the cross and says, practically speaking, there is no evil so dark and so obscene, but that God can turn it to good. Friends, I don't know what you might be going through right now in your own personal life. Times of trial, times of joy, times of confusion. But I believe that God is love, and God is with you, weeping with you on your saddest moments, and giggling with delight at your great joys. God is love, is with you, and loves you. Please don't ever forget that. Remember that God's power is greater than anything that can happen. For Christ's redeeming power can work all things together for good. Will you pray with me? Oh, holy God, help us to guard our words, or at least to protect the hearts of those whom we misspeak them in front of, because we do make mistakes. But help us think what might be helpful to one who is suffering. Help us recognize that you, your love, and it is your love that we seek to share in this world. May we do so faithfully. Amen. So as a response to the word and as a way to continue our worship, let us receive our tithes, offerings, gifts, and our prayer cards.